Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Joined by the senator from Florida, Marco Rubio. Good morning, Senator. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. I understand you're in Central Florida today. I am, and it's uh, it's beautiful. And I got some news about Cuba because, of course, the local uh, media is covering it. I want to first ask you, for, thank you for all your words in the Senate and on Twitter. You're covering this like nobody else. Is the American media failing to do their job about this uprising in Cuba? I think generally the answer is yes. I think they were slow to it, uh, primarily because, A, they don't understand it, and, B, because it runs counter to their narrative. Um, I, just a fact, I mean, I'm just being honest. I think most of the people who are making those decisions at the news desks and all that kind of lean far left. Or, and, and for them, this is a government that... You know, the far left government, that's actually more than that. It's a Marxist, socialist, communist government. And so I think it makes them uncomfortable because the narrative they're always pursued is, you know, Cuba does a lot of things right. To the extent there's things wrong in Cuba, it's because of the U.S. embargo. And, um, and so they didn't want to jump on it initially. Then when they did jump on it, they initially said, yeah, there's protests. There's protests because of COVID. And then they said, yeah, there's protests, but they're protests because of COVID and because the, uh, the U.S. sanctions are making things even far worse. And so uh, I think it's very, very uncomfortable for them. And the thing is, it's been very uncomfortable for a lot of people in American politics to acknowledge that there are thousands upon thousands of people in 42 cities on an island 90 miles from our shores that are taking to the streets in open rejection of Marxism and communism. Now, I want to go to the details as you understand them. And I think you're probably the best positioned person in America to discuss this, Senator Rubio. But first, I object mostly to describing Cuba as an authoritarian state because we know the word authoritarian got thrown around in the Trump years. It's a totalitarian police state that imprisons and murders its dissidents. And it's ha- anyone who read Amanda Valladares or listened to any of the dissidents over 50 years knows this. And to refer to it as an authoritarian regime is to discount the suffering of the people there. Am I right or am I wrong? No, you're right. Look, all that, that goes without saying. You know, that's like, a, you know, it doesn't make it's, it's a it's it's repetitive because in essence, all Marxism is ultimately totalitarian because what happens is Marxism says, all right, here's the deal. We will give you economic security. We will give you social justice in exchange for your freedom. You've got to give up some of your freedom, but this is the things we'll guarantee you. And then it delivers none of the things that guaranteed, and then, but you don't get your freedom back. And when you protest, then they say, oh, you're a counter-revolutionary, or, or you've sold out, or, or you're part of the problem. So, so I think that is the – and you said one more thing about authoritarian. You know, I'm happy that Joe Biden – finally said something. It was 24 hours later, okay? Because they'll jump all over it. I mean, they are faster to condemn Republican legislators in Texas than they are to condemn the regime in Cuba. But that said, they finally said something. But even when they said something, you could see how it had to be carefully crafted to avoid the word socialist, Marxist, communist, because they know that within their base, especially among their activist base, there are people who openly identify as Marxists. They just do. And these are people that raise money and give money to them. These are people that knock on doors for them, and, um, and they don't want to upset them. And, and, and I know for a fact several legislative Democrat 
in state legislature, for example, who have spoken out supporting these protests, who have gotten a lot of grief from their far left base, which happens to be the most active part of, of the Democratic base. I continue to look for a question posed to Senator Sanders in the hallways. And because the Senate is in session, I assume he is there. I have not seen it. I continue to look for anything from AOC. I have not seen it. Have I missed it or is it not there? Well, my understanding is that Sanders has finally said something. I don't know exactly what he said. And, um, you know, I, you know, my imagine that what Bernie would say is that, um, you know, he doesn't support beating people up in the street and they should be able to openly express themselves. Look, there is a school of thought out there that, you know, you can have socialist policies and yet have a democracy and people point to Europe, the Europeans, and I used to make that mistake, you know, Europeans will be the first ones to tell you they are not socialists. They have private enterprise. Now they have big government, they have high taxes, they have a big safety, social safety net, etc. But they'll tell you we don't control the means of production. Um, but in essence, that's where it always winds up, right? I mean, that socialism never ends. It's never satisfied. And we're seeing that play out. I argue that a lot of this wokeness in American politics is just sort of a rebranded a relabeled socialism. That's what Marxism, that's what it is. It's divide people between a victim class and an oppressor class, tell them that government needs more power to make things fair, and uh, and then it's never satisfied. There's no part of our lives that they will not intrude upon, and people ultimately rebel against that. That's what's happening in Cuba. Now, Senator, I could not find out what is happening yesterday because TikTok, Twitter, Telegram, they are not timed and date stamped often. What happened yesterday, Monday? The- yeah, a couple of things. First of all, the Internet has uh, has been restricted and shut down and, and uh, access to several sites. I think it's been well documented by a number of uh, companies and entities that track that. It's not surprising that the Chinese government has, has built and in Cuba installed and trained the Cubans on how to use this system that allows them to shut down the Internet. It's something you see in Iran. It's something you see in Venezuela. It's something you see, obviously, in China and even in Russia. And, and, and it's Chinese technology. The Chinese are helping them do this, have helped them do it. But that said, we have seen and heard reports yesterday that there were now it wasn't like Sunday, but there were uh, this is there were protests uh, again. Here's the thing. This is not going to end because this is an organic movement. It has no leader. This is a leaderless movement. It's not led by any organization. In fact, here's something very interesting. This entire movement that's sort of taken root here in the last year was all led by artists. These are artists. These are actors. These are playwrights. These are uh, songwriters and singers and musicians and poets who have led this movement and uh, b- because of the restrictions on what they're allowed to express. And, um, and, and ultimately, this just became an organic movement in the streets. So it's impossible to predict you know, when it'll break out again. But it's not, it's not going to go away. No, I've seen the security forces are wearing masks. They're afraid of the Majinsky sanctions. Ought we to be coming forward against the new strongman and everybody that we can identify for their repressive tactics? Yeah, so what we're trying to do here, and we're trying to set up a mechanism to do this responsibly, is to take these pictures and these images that we're capturing from Cuba and have people identify who these people are. Now, we know who the high-ranking officials are, but who, are this, who is the guy in the street with a, with a machine gun? Who's the guy in the street with a baton beating the, you know, cracking people's heads open? Because Cuba is a big, you know, it's a small country. Everybody knows everybody there, and at least not everybody knows everybody, but everybody in these cities know everybody and they can help us identify people by name and last name and that's going to be useful for us uh not just in the short term it's not uncommon to find someone that is a member of the repressive forces that four years later winds up in the u.s asking for asylum claiming that they're persecuted we have people living in the united states that that were part of repression 
and and are now you know here just sort of living here uh, without anyone knowing about it. So we need to identify these people so a they can never enter the United States either as visitors or to stay here permanently. But ultimately, because there's going to be a free Cuba, and these individuals need to face justice for the actions they're taking right now. That actually gives me a little shudder, a little shiver, uh, Senator. There is going to be a free Cuba. I really do believe that. But what can an American do? Just an average American listening to this radio show, what can they do? Well, the the first problem we have nowadays is that m- m- news moves so fast. It's already fading. And I think by Tuesday, we'll be talking about something else. And so I think there's going to be this tendency to sort of move on and say that was a one-time thing. If the Cubans know this. If they can restrict these videos from coming out for a couple of days, they know our attention will move on. So we need to keep talking about it because these people really do look to us to, to understand that we are their echo to the world. I think in that vein, there are three things I'd like, four things I'd like to see concretely. The first is I'd like President Biden to repeatedly state very clearly, as well as here in the Senate and in the House, whose side we are on. We are on the side of the people against a Marxist, socialist, communist regime. We need to say that clearly. Number two, we need to make clear to the Cuban regime that there isn't going to be any changes to the Trump policies, that the policy review is over, the policies stay in place, because they are hoping that things will change. And in fact, they're going to try to use this crisis now that they're facing to leverage that, to say, look, unless we have uh, unless there's some changes to your policies, things aren't going to get better in Cuba. And in fact, they're going to threaten us with a mass migration. They're going to say, you know, it's inevitable. People, 50,000 people are going to get on rafts and head to America. And, and that's the third point. I think Biden needs to make it abundantly clear to the Cuban regime that any encouragement to mass migration towards the United States is going to be treated as a hostile act, and we will react accordingly. It's, a, it's virtually an act of war to just send a human wave, and it's in, inhumane. And the fourth, and I think something I've really been focused on for a long time, we we're making progress on it under the Trump administration, and I hope we can restart it under the new administration, and that is provide the people of Cuba unfettered, unfiltered Internet access using satellite technology to make Internet available on the majority of the island of Cuba so that people can go onto that system, communicate with each other, communicate with the world and not be filtered out by this Chinese software system that's been installed. Now, now, Senator, I want to add a fifth because you educated me yesterday and I did some research on it. I heard you mention the doctor export program and I've heard about Cuban doctors carrying the revolution forward everywhere. But you mentioned it is akin to human trafficking. So I began to research it. Indeed, it is. They are being, in essence, kidnapped and sent abroad to be the happy face of the revolution for slave wages or no wages. I don't think any country should accept Cuban doctors. And that's the pressure we've created. These doctors are sent to these countries, and then they're basically paid a dollar or two a day. In fact, a couple of them were kidnapped, I believe, in Kenya a couple of years ago, never to be heard from again uh, by one of these, com- one of these uh, Islamist forces. And so you have these issues. And we used to have this program, and it was given away by the Obama administration as part of their opening. And the program was this. Cuban doctors who were overseas could ask for asylum, and they were granted visas by the United States to come into this country. And the reason why the Cuban regime hated it is because they couldn't – they were afraid to send doctors overseas because they would defect. And so part of the things they insisted upon from the Obama administration and Obama gave to them was the end of that visa program. Now, we're not talking about tens of thousands of people coming into the United States here, but we are talking about one more pressure point because the Cuban government gets paid. They generate revenue. In essence, they send these doctors overseas. The host country pays the Cuban regime, and the Cuban regime pays them – Uh, pays these guys like $2 a day of meager. Uh, They can't even subsist on it. Some of them are living in deplorable conditions, uh, and and they would defect in a heartbeat if they could. Now, my last couple of questions, Senator. The Cuban Olympic team will soon arrive in Tokyo. 
Cubans always do very good at a couple of sports, but it's particularly boxing. If I see one human interest feature, and this is my network, NBC, I just hope they don't make the mistake. One human interest feature about how wonderful this Cuban boxer has it, it will be disgusting if it is not paired with the video. Have you talked to NBC about that? I haven't. It's a good point. And look, I never, you know, there are some athletes in the Cuban, you know, Olympic team that, that follow the, the line. You never know if it's real or unreal. You have to understand their families are back in Cuba. That said, you know, I never try to blame some 19-year-old kid who happens to be a good boxer or a good gymnast or whatever for what's happening. They just want to play sports, and I understand that, and I understand they live in a very tough system. That said, and you see a lot of them try to defect, and, and they have. I mean, you know, Major League Baseball is an example of it. So, but, but I think your point is well taken, and that is don't tell me that they've got this great athletic system of, of competition when their best athletes, if they could leave, would leave and have left. And, uh, and these people don't live under any freedom. And frankly, you never hear from these guys again after the Olympics. They go back and they live, you know, a little bit. Of, they, they feed them better than everybody else. But that's about it. They, they have no opportunities to do anything else for them. family. And when they can no longer box, when they can no longer compete in the Olympics, they're no longer useful to the regime and they're discarded. You never hear about them again. My very last question, Senator, and please come back as the, uh, the coverage continues. It's genuinely desperate. I read a New York Times account of a mother who has children having to choose whether to stand in line for hours or play black market prices for milk. Is this as desperate as it has been in Cuba in your lifetime? It is, especially since uh, the, you know they had the end of the Soviet subsidies. But this is all they're doing. I mean, look, the, the embargo allows, first of all, the embargo allows us to do business with any independent Cuban business that exists. If you open a small grocery store tomorrow, we can do business with you all day long. It's just the Cuban regime won't allow it. It's the Cuban regime that if you send your relatives money and dollars to Cuba, the regime takes 10% of it off the top, and then they force you to convert the dollars your relatives sent you into worthless Cuban currency. Obviously, the regime keeps the dollars. And then all the good stuff is sold at government stores. Everything's sold in dollars. So th- this is exactly what the problem is here. The Cuban government is the one that doesn't let the fishermen catch fish and sell it to the people. The Cuban government is the one that doesn't let the Cuban farmer grow things and sell it to the people. It's the Cuban government who build these luxury hotels for tourists while people's homes are crumbling. They're the ones that are responsible for this. Senator, thank you. Keep coming back. Keep talking on the floor of the Senate. It's actually the only coverage I'm getting that is comprehensive is from your Twitter feed, and I appreciate it very much. I hope the American media joins you in the effort. Thank you, Senator. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.